What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the information and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. You know these three faces right here, so you know what's coming at you. It is a bodybuilding or what I like to call physique improvement. So you don't have to be a bodybuilder. Maybe you're just interested in improving your physique. Q and A, Mr. Dominic Cusa, Mr. Cameron Cheek and a man who does not want to be gendered, Paul Surferini. How is everyone doing today? Good, how are you? Really fucking good, man. What you, what's your beverage of choice today? Dom's got the white monster. Paul, what are you sipping on? I'm sipping on some scissor. Cup of vodka. Wow, nice. Get <laughs> fucked up very early in the day. I thought about it. If I didn't have work to do after this, I was going to take shots throughout it. <laughs> And the answers just get better and better. Cam, as always, just blankly staring into the camera, drinking the blood of his enemies. Just the standard beverage from him. It's high in iron. So good job, Cam. I think it's semen. Oh, I just splashed coffee in my face. All right. (laughs) What do we bring, guys? (laughs) Before we get in too much trouble with this intro, we're going to jump right into these questions. So on the last Q&A, we discussed carbohydrates, specifically, quote unquote, fast digesting carbohydrates in the intra workout window. Our question that comes from at a Kasim pronunciation. I think I nailed it. Did my best. Dom, clarify. Kasim. If you say so. If you say so. Um, This gentleman. He asks, do you prefer to have, quote unquote, fast carbs post-workout like dextrose or straight glucose? So let's maybe start. Who wants to unpack this question a little bit with what might be the benefits from a physiological standpoint of actually having fast carbohydrates post-workout? So what is the physiological advantage of that insulin spike post-workout from a muscle protein synthesis versus breakdown standpoint? Who wants it? So, uh, I mean, if we have a faster insulin response from a carbohydrate that's going to be digested faster, obviously we know that insulin is going to stop any kind of muscle protein breakdown. Um, Suppress. Suppress, not stop. Choose your words carefully. People are going to crush us, Cam. They're coming for us. Sorry, my high school degree can only do so much. 
Paul? What you got? That's all I was going to say, but I'm pretty sure I was seeing some stuff where, like, even, like, beef protein can cause, like, a decent insulin spike. We all know, like, whey can. Um, so, really, I mean, dude, from my perspective, I think it's, like, not a – it's probably a good idea to – am I getting too far into the question, or did we want to – No, you're good. Like, it's probably a good idea um, to sort of replenish, like, your energy stores um, for other sort of metabolic or cellular processes. Um, but there's no real – I can't think of a real advantage to getting getting them in faster. One, your sort of digestion and absorption and all that is going to be at a slower rate post-workout. So your fast digesting carbs are probably going to digest a little slower anyway, but you don't have to have those glycogen stores replenished until your next session, which is probably at least a day away, right? And not only that, you begin to replenish glycogen before you even intake any glycogen through other uh, substrate. Like you broke it, you broke down like a what is it like triglycerides? So those glycerols get turned into uh, glucose. Um, lactate gets turned into glucose and probably a bunch of other things. So uh, other amino acids, stuff like that. So yeah, man, you just need, it's probably a good idea to have some carbs and probably big picture just fulfilling your sort of daily needs of carbs. Let me let me dive one layer deeper. Let's take this question a little bit further. So from a standpoint of like massing, so when you're in a caloric surplus versus dieting, specifically like hard dieting, let's say like contest prep dieting, do you see one of those situations being more advantageous for having carbohydrates in that post-workout window? Or is it still kind of the same answer where the difference is going to be kind of negligible in the long run? Potentially. I mean, I think there's definitely um, less of a need in a surplus and, and it depends on how big the surplus is. But like most people have to realize if you eat like this big ass fucking meal and your meals are likely to be larger in a surplus like that could sort of, I guess, be in circulation, digestion, all that in the process of being absorbed for like four, five, six, seven hours, depending on meal composition and size. So, I mean, like if you're training in the afternoon and you have three or four meals up to that training session, you're kind of always covered throughout the day anyway. So like maybe in a deficit, but I guess it sort of depends on your energy demands post training as well. So like if you're not like it's you're not doing anything after training, you're sitting around like the the only time maybe maybe if you, you're doing two sessions a day while you're dieting. So like you got your cardio in the morning, training in the afternoon or training in the morning, cardio in the afternoon. That could maybe make sense, especially if you're doing legs um, on that day. Yeah, I think maybe in like a very high intensity training context with multiple sessions a day 
then you might make the argument of like, all right, let's get some fast acting carbohydrates in immediately in that post-workout window to fuel that next session. But I am not of the opinion, and I leave the window open here to, to being proved wrong at some point, but I am not of the opinion that in a bodybuilding contest prep setting, low intensity, steady state cardio in the morning, and then you know a traditional 60 to 90 minute bodybuilding hypertrophy training session in the afternoon is something where you're going to run into issues of complete glycogen depletion where like oh fuck i missed my carbs like after my morning cardio like i'm gonna be completely destroyed from my workout this afternoon no yeah and you're having meals in between those you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so unless you're at the end of the contest prep and you're really having to pick and choose where your carbs are going um, and then once again, like I said, that only matters unless you're doing upper body cardio, like that only really matters on leg day, you know? Yeah. I also don't know if there's a lot of practicality to getting, you know, a big chunk of 50 to 70 grams of carbohydrates from dextrose or, or glucose or something like that post-workout when your daily carbohydrate allotment for, you know, a big guy at the end of contest prep is like 200 grams. Like you're going to use, you know, 35 40% of your carbohydrates for the day for a dextrose shake post-workout. Like, is that the smartest thing that you can do from like a longevity um, standpoint in a contest prep diet? Oh, that, yeah, absolutely. That'd be like one of the worst things for most people. Like most people, like it's great. Optimality is awesome. But most people are going to want to be, especially towards the end of a contest prep, focusing on just making it through the contest prep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and Dom kind of talked about this in the way that he chooses his carbohydrate supplements. Dom, do you see a big difference between these carbohydrate supplements? Because as we've kind of moved through the years with this supplement being a big subset of the market, it was dextrose, just straight dextrose. And then, you know, it was like the waxy maize starch and then it was the cyclic dextrin. And now it's these multi-branched dextrins. Do you see from a physiological standpoint, a big difference moving from one to the next? Um, I think, well, on a term of like intra-carb, maybe, um, just like how fast you can get the, I mean, you don't want like a super high insulin spike while you're training. So like, cause then you're just asking to, you know, go hypo and whatnot. But I feel like the cluster dextrins are probably a better choice while you're actually training just because they are slower in like an insulin response way. Um, but like the, I know a few guys that love like dextrose post-workout, but to me, it kind of just almost feels like a waste, like just cause of like, it's going to take a second for your blood flow distribution to come back. Like you got to wait like an hour to like the resting heart rate even comes back down to normal. And like, and then why waste all that on dextrose when you could just eat something? Um, that you digest longer over a period of time. Uh, I, I don't know what the craze is about dextrose, like post-workout. I get it, I guess. Like, oh, I want to replenish my glycogen as fast as I can. But like eating rice cakes would have like a similar insulin response and you'd actually be eating something physical, not just drinking something. And then too, like, I feel like people don't do well with a lot of fluids post-workout. Um, at least me, I can't drink a, bunch of water or a shake even that's too big in volume after a workout that's weird 
I had a thought real quick, just, I guess, maybe a thought experiment. Like, I think in bodybuilding, we always hear about the new carb, right? Carbolin, fucking cyclic dextrin, whatever. People go back to dextrose. But has the formula for Gatorade changed? And um i think so i think they've changed it around a little bit because if you you and i have no basis for this and looking at the formula but people talk about how gatorade used to taste a lot different so i think they've changed like maybe like the sucrose to glucose ratio in there so it's not quite as sweet i honestly have no fucking it's idea like, talking it's my still ass. mostly a mixture of dextrose and fructose essentially i believe so yeah yeah so, so like i sort of wonder because like when it comes to companies that make supplements gatorade has got to be killing like everybody else like oh, and yeah. they are so they put probably more money into research and development than anybody else and you know for the longest time they've sort of been like oh dextrose and fructose at this combination is really good for getting glucose into the body really fucking fast um but they they're not fucking around with branch chain dextrin i mean you know or branched dextrin or whatever so i almost kind of wonder like is this just kind of like made up new bodybuilder stuff i don't know i'm sure there's research behind it and stuff but you would think that if we had new amazing carbs that were better than any other carbs like probably somebody like gatorade would be hopping on it and there wouldn't be all these new other kinds coming out because one would just be the monopoly of all of it <laughs> yeah if one truly worked better but there is some interesting stuff about fructose uh digestion isn't there about how fructose has to make that extra pass through the liver, I believe. Someone correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, no, you're right. So, like, yeah. all I'm pretty sure, pretty all, like all carbohydrate, if it's not in glucose form, has to be converted into glucose. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, fructose has to be converted into glucose via the liver, I suppose. And then, but I think the whole thing behind it is that you can transport more fructose and dextrose together versus just dextrose. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And I guess that's, that, that might be one reason why you don't want to pound like an obscene amount of fruit post-workout. It's just cause you would be getting such a high amount of fructose. I don't know. I've heard people say that before. Well, I, I think the fruit thing is a bit overshot, blown out of proportion. Um, for sure there's like not that much fructose in a lot of fruits like complex sugar wise like so like i think an apple is like one of the highest fructose containing fruits i think the demonization of fructose comes from like sugary drinks and syrup high fructose fructose corn corn syrup syrup. yeah yeah and the some of the research on because there was research on like liver toxicity and with fructose, but I think some of the like the dosages that they gave either people or the rats right. was like the equivalent of like people. Yeah, it was like the equivalent of like a human eating like 200 grams of fructose a day or something like, absurd. People, like people don't realize those studies like in rodents, they're created to they're designed to create an effect. Yeah, like to show the mechanism. We're giving you cancer with this, basically. Right. Like, like, that's what the study is for. <laughs> All right, Mr. Kassim, that is your answer right there on your fast carbs post workout. Hope you liked it. The TLDR 
probably doesn't matter that much. Go with what you enjoy the most, sir. All right, the next question comes from, I believe he's a client of yours, Dobbs, Gabe Larner. Uh, no, he's a friend. Okay, good friend, good pal, friend of the channel, Gabe Larner. He asks two questions here. We'll hit the first one first. Uh, the first question is, what is more important, changing exercise selection or changing volume slash intensity? Um, let's start by answering this question from a microcycle to microcycle, because there's a lot of ways to kind of dig into this question here. Let's go. Let's start small. We'll say from a microcycle to microcycle. Um, context, what's more important, changing your exercise selection or changing volume and intensity? Who wants to jump on that one? Paul, Mr. Program Design, let's hear it. Sure. So from, yeah, from the short, in your in your shortest durations, it's definitely not exercise selection. Um, it would probably be intensity, uh, especially if we're talking about like intensity of loading or intensity of effort. Um, but yeah, you definitely don't want to change your movement selection too often since you're going to be using your movement selection and progression in that to as a sort of uh, to give you feedback on how, how you're progressing your your best short term indicator that things are moving in the right direction. Any additions to that? I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, how, that's my thoughts on things. I think like. I think the only time you, I mean, I'm probably getting ahead, but exercise selection changes. I'd say like, if it's like in a short duration, if it's causing like a lot of pain, maybe you could change it. But like, if it's, if that's not the issue, then exercise selection, I think is like not going to be the first thing you change in a short duration. Oh, uh, definitely intensity. Like Paul was saying, like making sure there's a different kind of effort change, then that can be something that you'd see in a short duration of time. One thing I might add too, is it may depend on the athlete and their level of development. Um, because personally, I feel like the, the newer the athlete is into their training, the longer you can ride out uh, those more complex movements um, and just kind of run them into the ground. Um for you know you may see somebody that's more advanced as a training age over five years where a compound movement may change i don't know maybe every three to five months something like that before things start you know kind of not really progressing anymore whereas you take someone who's in their first one to two years of training and you can progress with a back squat for you know a longer duration of time um and one thing to keep in mind, too, is when it comes to changing movements, um, a general rule of thumb is the simpler the movement and the less joints that it's going to be working, the quicker that movement might change compared to something that's more complex. That's an interesting. Um, yeah, I feel like I wouldn't argue that. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to say, just to kind of really establish it, from a bodybuilding and hypertrophy perspective, I feel that you should actually avoid novelty for as long as you can, assuming that things are going well, no injury, progression is continuing to go, run, run those motherfuckers into the ground. 
Yeah, there's and it's just continuing on with that point. There's a lot of ways to introduce novelty outside of like changing your exercise selection, changing the tempo, adding a pause, elevating the heels. Like there's a lot of ways that you can keep the same movement. If you guys want to use barbell back squat as the example here, Dom's favorite, the Smith squat, like we can change the tempo after two months can change the reps after two months we can change we can add a pause after a couple months like there's a what you want to do is just create an artificial limiter to the amount of load that someone can use from the start progress that until it doesn't progress anymore introduce some sort of other artificial limiter that makes the movement harder and then just repeat that process like and this is something that happens over the time course of like months and months if you do it right you can keep the same movement in for six months straight the real reason why i swap movements out for a lot of my people is that like a lot of them they just get too goddamn strong for their own good it's like they all of a sudden they you know they started back squatting with 155 and now six months later we're at like 275 i'm like ah, all right you know that's that's a little bit too much for you let's let's switch it over to like some front squats or switch it over to a leg press or something like that yeah for sure that's definitely a consideration um and also just why with some people you just don't pick certain movements you know yeah like johnny can do 17 reps with 430 pounds on his back i don't like to give him squats like it's <laughs> a leg press yeah so like uh and yeah like you said i i mean there's so many ways to program and you're right there there are a variety of ways to introduce novelty and when you sort of look at this question is it important to change volume or intensity or novelty all of these things are kind of all happening at the same time you know because you may uh, work on somebody's work capacity not or something like that like you may give them a lot of sub maximal sets of eights and then maybe you give them maximal sets of eights or maybe you start with a tempo and you start weaning that tempo down and increasing load and then but with that volume is changing as well you know probably more so than progression something that inf influences my exercise selection choices because i like to run i almost exclusively run specialization cycles for all of my bodybuilders where we focus heavily on a certain muscle group or a, a couple muscle groups at once and that influences my exercise selection a lot more than something simple like progression like you can get progression like you said a lot of other ways yeah. you know i i, I kind of have a feeling his question I, I mean, we could throw a twist into it here and say, like, okay, what is more important if I want to bring something up? Is it going to be constantly changing the exercise or is it going to be adding volume and intensity? Like, am I trying to build more? So shorts? here's the way I'm sort of reading into it is almost like regardless of what we're trying to do, like, let's say we're doing back specialization. All right. We've set like sort of our movements and we have our starting volume. We have our starting poundages like over time, like over weeks and over months. Like, what are we what what is going to be? Or I guess. I would say I feel like the question is more of a short term thing, like what what is most important, because there are some people that are in the camp of um, think that number of sets is a little more important to manipulate than the load. And I'm kind of in the middle, but there's there's one thing I want to say and which biases me a little more towards load is just that's the one thing that has just always worked from the beginning of time, like you add load to the bar. Um, 
eventually you're stronger. You can add load, more load to the bar. And if you've been doing that for a while, like your volume is in a pretty good spot. Like that probably doesn't need to change much on the short term. Like it can, and that's a fine strategy, but there's no like demand. You have to change the number of sets you're doing. If that's how you're defining volume from week to week. Yeah, no. And if you want to look at it from like a, like a raw percentage standpoint, like if you start someone on a cycle on like their week one of their mesocycle and they're doing two sets per week and you're of the camp that you want to add, you know, one set per week to that movement by the end of the meso, that person's doing five, six sets of that movement. If you look at the amount of volume from a percentage standpoint that you've added, I mean, what is that going from two to six sets? What percent increases that? I didn't take math class. Math was hard for me. 300% three times as much. Yeah. 300% increase. So like if you just look at it from a raw number standpoint, like 300% increase in volume, did you really need to increase that much to make progress? Whereas if you take more of Paul's like uh, perspective, this adding small amounts of weight or better yet, even just adding reps from week to week, you're increasing your volume by, you know, 10, 15. That's something that you can stretch out for significantly longer. And it's, and it's at far less risk to you as a person. It's, you know, driving the speed limit, driving as fast as your car will go. If you drive as fast as your car will go, maybe you'll get there faster, but you might run into some technical issues along the way. You dig? You dig? Um, so Gabe's second question, I think, is honestly even more short term than that first question. I would I would agree with you guys that the, the first question seems like a very microcycle to microcycle question. Um, so we gave you a little bonus going mezzo to mezzo. You're welcome, Gabe. Um, just remember, remember us when you when you make it big. Um, Gabe asks, what variables do you believe must be manipulated? This is a funny question. Must be manipulated for overload slash progression. What variables must be manipulated for overload progression? I don't think any single variable has to be manipulated. It just doesn't have to be something like where you have to just choose one. You can add a little weight to the bar. You can add some reps. You could make Paul mad. You could add a set. You could add, you could, you know, if you're in like a work capacity phase, let's say this is outside of a hypertrophy standpoint, you're in a work capacity phase, shorten the rest time. You can do a lot of things here. What else would you yeah. just progress? I don't think there's like a must, but I think like as long as you're doing one of those, either you beat your reps or you added load or you added a set, but kept all the others the same, you're progressing some way or shape or form, right? If you increase load, you beat load. That's your progressive there. If you increased your reps from the previous week, there's your progression. If you increased by a set, there's more progression. Like you could pick any of those and do one. You don't have to, there's not one set in stone. That's what you have to do every week. And Paul's program is a good example of that. At least the way he does my programming. Like one week it's, hey, we're going to just beat reps. No added sets, no added load, just beat your reps. The next week it's, we might add a set or we're just going to add load. And then after that, it's either we add a set or we add load again. So it's not like consistently the same thing every week. It's some sort of progression through a different variable. And Paul, let me underhand you a softball here. Why, in your opinion, is it going to be your best bet to just change one variable at a time as opposed to saying, all right, 
from week one to week two, we're going to add a little bit of load. I'm going to tell you to beat your reps and we're going to add a set. I mean, even that I think could be fine, you know, assuming you're not like trying to add too much of one thing, you know, like if, you, if you're doing a massive load jump and you're adding one or two sets or you're going for a lot more reps, I think probably the only big issue with that is just running yourself into the ground a little faster. Did you have yeah. something else in mind that I'm not thinking of? No, I, I just think it from a standpoint of like, let's say you, you know, you change all three at once and then the client reports back to you, hey, that was a little bit too much this week. You're kind of in a bit of a conundrum there because you're like, all right, which aspect of it was too much? Was it too much of a volume increase from adding the set? Was it too much of a weight increase because I increased the load as well? From my perspective, and in my opinion, I like to change one variable at a time. So if I, you know, tell Dom, all right, this week, you know, we're going in there and beating your reps. And Dom says, oh, man, I'm, I'm or I, I say, you know, we're going to add some load. And Dom comes back to me. He's like, man, my elbows are really kind of jacked up this week. I can say, all right, you know, the load increases what beat him up there. Let's bring the load down and let's progress one of our other variables. I always like to just change one variable at a time. If something goes wrong, I know exactly why it went wrong. Yeah, I think... I think that that I think that's a really great way to look at it for sure. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> I think uh, often if it's something injury related, though, like you never know. It could be from like uh, could be cumulative. It, yeah, it could be accumulative from several weeks of bad habits, uh, even including things that you're not programming, like their form could suck and they just haven't sent you a video so that you could fix it. And it sucks. Yeah. For- months um or years <laughs> uh i do think though you could probably make some good guesses as to what the problem is if you did all that and you had their programming numbers in front of you you know like if they went into set one and it was trash and you look and they added 30 pounds to their um close grip bench press or something and you're like eh, we probably should have added one two three percent in load so something around five to ten pounds um or if you saw that their performance crashed um in later sets or seemed really poor at the end of their workout you might have increased volume too much earlier in their workout and stuff like that so you could probably pick it apart some still and probably get some good information out of it too I think the load progression is one thing that really bites people in the ass. Like they just try to make too big of jumps and then it just like, it might not affect them that training session, but like later on in the week, it might hurt them down the road. And I I think that's a big thing people don't, um, people take for granted because like, you know, the whole ego gym thing, like I want to make a 10 pound PR like, or whatever, like they're too embarrassed to put two and a half pound plates on their bar. Yeah. When in reality, that's still progression. I had, I trained yesterday. I increased my load literally by two and a half pounds, but it's to me, that's progression. I'm proud of you. Proud <laughs> I mean, of you. Dude, that's progression. Like if you start at a, you know, reasonable distance from failure, you know, new phase, whatever, like there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to progress like that for a fucking while. But like when you do that for a month, that's 20 pounds on a lift, you know, and you can't do that forever. 
But two months later, three months later, we talked about keeping these movements for as long as we can. Like that adds up to a, a, a huge poundage. And a lot of yeah. times when you do large jump loads, large jumps and loads, you kind of like smack into that wall to where you're you've been doing movement for half the time and you're already just kind of grinding against it, beating yourself up. Yeah. And then I think it eats into their their like execution of the movement too. Like if they try to make too big of a jump in their squat, like they they might be able to do the movement, but who knows if it adjusted the way they came up in their squat. Well, uh, it's not the same movement anymore. I'll yeah. say this. Yeah, like squat, you know, uh, sure, but I, I see it all the time in bodybuilding programming with like lat pull downs, cable rows, they just turn into trash. Like they look good on week one. They look like shit on week four. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no shame in just keeping the load the same, adding like two reps. You added two reps over your four sets of the day. Congrats. You are better than your last session. You can't go broke making a profit. So make your small profit. <laughs> get the fuck out of the gym. Go home. Rest up. And let's do it again the next day. So Gabe, sounds like you need to slow your roll a little bit with that progression. Just kidding. I don't know anything about you, Gabe. You seem like a really nice guy and we love you. Um, all right. Our next question comes from, we're going to skip the joke one. If we have time at the end, we'll hit it. So live, we might be, that's a lot of Paul's penis. That's what you came here for. Pancakes. This thing is Paul's sitting penis. under me winking right now. She wants attention. All right. Last one comes from at J Murray. Four, one, three. Uh, Jay Murray asks, stim versus non-stim pre-workout. And my favorite question that's attached to any question, which is the best, the best. No nuance, but critical thinking. Pick one. It's the best. We're done here. Dom, which one's the best? Non-stim. Oh, fuck you. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing in the supplement that works <laughs> i agree <laughs> right, i'll guys. say I'll, I'll, let me let me let me say why why i think non-stims are the best because they actually have things like citrulline in them when the pre's don't a lot of companies now they sell both and their stim is just like caffeine caffeine malate teacrine just a bunch of stims in one oh. and then their non-stim is all the pump stuff. So if Look, I had to pick one, I want the pump going stuff. Going to the gym today, I'm going to add 50 pounds to my bench press two nights. What do you think is going to help me more? Your citrulline malate or the 500 milligrams of caffeine and two cups of coffee? Paul's got a point. Is there a rebuttal? Is there a rebuttal, sir? No. Yeah, you can only use 200 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> if I'm trying to hashtag outwork and win the day, I'm going 600 megs of caffeine, and we are going absolutely nuts tonight. And a bronchase. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> All right, let me jump in here. All right, so I think that there are um, – some actual good takeaways on this question. Um, the first one that jumps out to me right away would probably be like timing of this stuff is like if you are someone that, you know, you work the nine to five job and you get off work and then you go to the gym after work, I would say the non-stim has to be the choice here. It has to be the choice, especially because a lot of these pre-workouts now are coming, even something like a bang energy drink 
is coming loaded with 300 milligrams of caffeine at a bare minimum. Make sure you watch the podcast with Dr. Allison Brager, where we talk about some of those things about timing of caffeine, the half-life of caffeine, and how that 300 milligrams of caffeine at 5 p.m. or at 6 p.m., whatever it is, is 150 milligrams of caffeine at 11 p.m. at midnight when you're trying to go to sleep. So if you're trying to maximize that high-quality um, sleep, you have to kind of manage this stuff appropriately. If you are someone who works out earlier in the day, I think you have to look at from a standpoint of like, all right, what do I want to get out of my pre-workout? Do I want what Dom's talking about? Some more of the like a high-quality product that has like those – uh, non-stem pump ingredients, your citrulline, your beta alanine. Um, there's a million other ones out there. Or am I more so looking to just get super hopped up like Paul, go absolutely balls out to the gym and just, just crush the weights? If that's the case, then you want to choose something that's got a lot more of the stems in it. Um, that's my input there. Uh, neither is the best. You should probably have one of each. Use them when you need them. Any other input from the peanut gallery? Cam, anything to add? Here's a oh, you go ahead, Cam. You got anything? Uh, no. I mean, my main thing. I like what Ryan hit on about um taking it before bed, just because that's something that's so like I do it all the time and don't even like I just forget. Don't even think about it. Um, so I think that's big to keep in mind. Um. Just because if your sleep messes up, it can just be a domino effect. Um, but man, whatever whatever you train best at, <laughs> that's what I just say. <laughs> whatever has your logbook looking good, <laughs> which is going to require sleep as well. So That's true. I used to do this thing when I trained late and I would mix up a scoop of pre-workout. But I would sip on it slowly as I got ready and drove to the gym. And as soon as it hit, I just stopped drinking it. So I'd end up with like 75 milligrams of caffeine versus the 300 or something. That was like a strategy. So that was probably helpful. What do you think, Ryan? I got a question about fatigue management and lifting, always lifting in an aroused state because you're using these crazy uh, pre-workouts, some of them with gray area banned substances or just high doses of caffeine i would say as with most things we should start with the minimum effective dose there of caffeine like you know start around that 100 milligram mark does it get you what you want if not proceed up by you know 25 to 50 milligram inc increments until you find that minimum dosage that gets you what you want the stimulatory effect that you're actually looking for but that's not the way that most people go it's like meme culture around fitness has created this like atmosphere where it's like okay the scoop says do are the, the the product says do not exceed three scoops in 24 hours that means i need to start with three scoops and then if i have to work my way up from there you know i'm a fucking badass i'm a warrior i'm i'm part of the iron game i can continue to increase it because i am superhuman mm -hmm. so let's dial that attitude down and let's bring it back to hey you know let's start with a cup of coffee before you work out feel good feel like you can get what you want out of it then good let's stick with that and if we have to go up from there we will not uh blast it from i guess day one. i guess i was asking i don't really think it's that big of a deal but you remember when people were talking about how maybe it's more important for a powerlifting get it powerlifter getting ready for a meet or something i don't know yeah but like people were talking about 
how you shouldn't always lift in an aroused state because your aroused RPE eight is actually a nine or yeah. IR or whatever. That's that's part of it. There's also really high dosages of caffeine can ha- actually have an analgesic effect as well. So like if you're, you know, maybe working through some sort of nagging injury, your knee is bothering you a little bit, your elbow is bothering you a little bit. If you take enough caffeine, you get a bit of a pain numbing response from that. And you might be training through something that you need to actually pay attention to. But the same thing goes like, you know, you train on 900 milligrams of caffeine every single day. You're a powerlifter. You go to the powerlifting meet. Like 900 milligrams ain't going to cut it for that day, that big day. So you've got it. Like, what's the increase from 900 milligrams? So I, I had a, a guy that I used to a train uh, Olympic weightlifting at my old gym with. And the guy would no joke. He would drink three bangs before his workout. Three bangs. That's 900 milligrams of caffeine. And it's like, OK, what does this guy do on meat day? Meat day rolled around. He's got a bang shooter. So like the shooter starts with that. I think those are like 200, 300 milligrams. And then he drinks four more as he's warming up. So where do you go from there? When that stops working, where do you go from there? One day he's uh, competing at a meet, forgets his caffeine, forgets his bangs at home. Too far away to go get him. At the meet, worst meet of his life. Because he doesn't even know anymore what it feels like to train without that stuff. So I would agree with you that people are a little bit too much reliant on the product and are running the dosages a little bit too high. There was another part of your question, too. What was it? Uh, I think that was it, just in terms of always lifting arouse and the fatigue that comes from that, like burning yourself out and training a little early on. Like I said, probably more more important to a powerlifter getting ready for a meat pancake is losing her shit. Hey, pancake. Um, but... Yeah, dude, nine hundred milli. What what is the uh, recommended performance enhancing dose? Three to six hundred milligram, or three to six milligrams per kilogram. Yeah, uh, three to I- six, four to six. I've even seen some people say five to nine milligrams per kilogram for like the most important events. That's five to insane. nine, yeah, five to nine is a lot. What? I mean, that's nine hundred milligrams for a two twenty pound male at the top end of that. That's a lot. One thing I have a heart attack. One thing that I'd add too, while we're on the topic of these high doses of caffeine and stimulants, um, and for someone to be mindful of, is one I've I've gone into workouts where I've taken someone's pre workout that either had like some kind of yohimbine in it, uh, DMAA, something where you you're just not used to it and you're getting the shakes and your heart rate's super elevated. You get high anxiety in the gym. Um, it, it can almost even get to a point where you feel weaker because you don't feel as stable, you know? Um, so being mindful of that, because that can most definitely negatively impact your performance. Um, and two, for somebody that may be trying to gain weight and just really struggles with it, the higher the stems you take, the your, your appetite's more often than not going to take a hit as well. So if you're someone that struggles to get food in, you're taking an opportunity where you you could have an elevated sense of hunger from training to have opportunity to get your food in, and you're coming off of a workout with a suppressed appetite from all the stimulants you just had. Cam, that's a great fucking point. I love it. Both of those, the anxiety side of things and the hunger and side Cam of things. Wasn't anxiety, a, 
Cam Cam wasn't around back in the day when we had one three DMAA, and you would drink it. Three D baby. You would drink it, not want to eat for five or six hours, and have the softest boners. No, I I I was. Cam's like, no, I had soft boners. (laughs) No way, no, no, no. guys, guys, guys. I must have had some. (laughs) No, I remember. I think I was in middle school and I remember a bunch of like the high school lifters and stuff taking it and getting up there for like the spring training when I was in the eighth grade about to go to high school. And I remember the guy like they treat it like it's just like drugs in the locker room. Like, can I get a scoop? Like, like, no, only the only starting offense can get some like and just (laughs) acting like it was the the craziest thing in the world because you had to be 18 to buy it. And we'd be like, hey, man, uh, like asking some senior, like, can can you buy me some? Can you get some? Because I remember there was uh, that one. What was another one? The Mesomorph, um, the old formula. One MR. That's pretty nutty. I think the first question, Hyde. One MR, holy shit. One MR was nuts. (laughs) But then I think Hyde came out, and it was 1-3-MAA and like 4 milligrams of caffeine, I think, or something. They banned that formula, I think, when I was like 15 or something. Like I I just got into high school when they started banning it. Me and my buddies, when we were leaving school, we would go straight from school to the gym to lift. There was like four of us, and we would all like hang around our cars and drink our Jack 3D before we left. So it would be hidden like on the drive, and we would fucking race to the gym. And we're all doing like 160 on I 95, just fucking rolling, just flying. Oh my God, boo. What the hell? Um, what the hell are you doing, boo? So. I'm super jacked up one day um, and I'm in the, I'm in like the middle lane and my buddy is like racing me over here and like the turn is right up here. And I'm like, this motherfucker, I'm not getting beat today from the middle lane. I rip e-brake and just crank this in there car straight into like this concrete. Uh, I don't even know what it was like B- pagoda or something like that. Totaled my car. And I blame Jack 3D. So don't let your kids take Jack 3D. They'll get fucked up and crash their cars. Now they're going to find this video and sue us. They are. are. (laughs) Still don't think they fixed that sign, but it's a a memorial to me. All right. Last one of the day. It's a joke question. Unless Liv is just really, really curious here. Um, At lift.live. Congrats on your collegiate nationals. Collegiate Nationals figure championship coached by the one and only at Team Kuza, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, she asks pineapple on pizza question mark. I'll jump in first because I don't really like pizza to begin with. Plain cheese pizza is fucking horrible. Terrible. Throw some pineapple on there. It's a little bit better. It's slightly better because pineapple is good. So I'm a pineapple on pizza because plain pizza tastes like dick. The rest of you. Let's hear your bad answers. You're a piece of shit, first okay. of all. Okay. You were right out of a dumpster. All right. So, I mean, dude, that's the you that's like the universal test. You must have only had bad pizza because that's the universal test to know if a pizza place is good. No, I, I just had too much pizza, pizza. If they truly make good pizza, you get a slice of cheese pizza and you're like, damn, that's good fucking pizza. And it is. So, first of all, I don't know, man. I'm kind of like, fuck this question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just because 
<laughs> I mean, like, fuck. Like, pineapple's fucking good on pizza, cool, like, whatever. But there are so many more interesting pizzas, pizzas these days. You can put fucking anything on pizza. No one gives a fuck about whether you like pineapple on pizza. It's good, okay? It's okay. It's not my first choice. <laughs> I had what about, like, anchovies, Paul? Yeah, I fuck that. That's just weird. <laughs> it was good, and it was, um, like, barbecue chicken, bacon, uh, like those sautéed onions, or the caramelized onions, and pineapple, and it was good. Paul, let me ask you a question. Does pizza get better the more stuff you add to it? I, I think there's a middle ground. I think you can put too much shit on pizza. Like, but adding, so like just as a general like concept, as like an ideology, adding toppings to pizza makes it better. So I love cheese pizza, dude. I love cheese pizza, dude. I, I Bread and cheese. Fuck the sauce. Like, I love bread and cheese. Like, they're two <laughs> fucking amazing things. Um but like i also like cool crazy pizzas man like i love a good alfredo chicken pizza dude i love pizzas with bacon on it i love pizzas with meatballs on it sausage on it dude i like fucking pizzas with pizzas pizzas with like ricotta cheese i like everything dude dude pizza is an art so like what's the pizza for you that has the best toppings on it like give me your pizza with the best toppings honestly dude i think now not every every pizza like you can't just go to any pizza place and order this pizza and it's all oh, just great pizza but like a really good chicken alfredo pizza dude like i think that's tough to beat man alfredo okay. so let me one yeah. one step further that chicken alfredo pizza that you're currently giving yourself an erection about is that do you choose that over just a plain cheese pizza dude i'm dude i'm a fat kid like i can't like i'm ordering pizza like it doesn't matter you're like a pizza just, politician just answer the fucking question it's a simple question which fucking slice are you gonna up. choose i might want some slices of cheese and like there's there's five people at our house we only need two pizzas i'm getting four like, <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> dude, I'm crying. It's hard. <laughs> All right, Dom, let's hear your your pizza answer. Not <laughs> as complex as Paul. <laughs> Paul gave us like a full pizza anthology. <laughs> Let me tell you about fucking meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> He just muted himself. All right, dude. I'm back. I'll eat pineapples on pizza. There you go, Liv. Are you happy? Did you get what you want, Olivia? Is this what you want from us? People who are listening to this on Spotify just going to be confused as shit. Some guy yelling about meatballs. Some guy crying because he's laughing too hard. But that's what you get here. That's what you signed up for. That's what you subscribed for. Just, in case anybody was wondering, Cam, Cam's just staring into the screen with a blank, soulless face. He is. Cam, what do we bring? Down. He's defeated. Cam, you're not allowed to say anything. I'm about to outro real quick. <laughs> Put your fucking self on mute. <laughs> there will be no, no comments Fuckers. this time. <laughs> <laughs> This whole time, I brought it back up. I've been thinking, what was it that I said afterwards?
Paul. How would you do that? All right, guys. Another episode. We will post another Ask Me Anything on all of our stories. That's at Team Kuza, at Cameron underscore Cheek, at Polly underscore Rocket, and at the underscore Squadfather or at Gifted Performance. That's where you can find us on the Instagrams. Make sure you request to join our public Facebook group where we discuss all sorts of things. Pineapple on pizza, training progression, all that good stuff. We talk about all of it. Um, if you search Gifted Performance on Facebook, you will find that. Check out the website for all of your coaching needs. That's giftedperformance.com. Don has something to add. They gifted. What do we bring, Dom? <laughs> you heard it from Mr. Kuza himself, guys. Like, comment, subscribe, and as always, stay motherfucking gifted. Cam. Say shit. Bye. <laughs>